Ain't That Swell presents Crawlords. Today we're joined by Johnny Gannon. Johnny is a bra boy who grew up in the bad old days of Maruba when it was proper skits, like a crew getting shot, stabbed, beaten every other week, drug dealers on every second street corner, but also, as so often happens, a golden generation of elite sportsmen. Tough places breed tough people, and Maruba was that and did that, producing for a short, sweet period a handful of the best rugby league players and heavy water exponents on the planet. Johnny watched it all go down from close quarters, trained alongside him, and eventually went on his own journey of sports, nutrition, science, and conditioning, taking up a role as Taj Burrow's coach and confident for seven long years on the world tour. These days, he's a leader in the field of strength and conditioning, holding down a gig at Surfing Australia's High Performance Centre. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting to a guy who's covered so much ground in his life and hearing some of the wisdom he's accumulated along the way. All right, Johnny Gannon, fresh back from Nepal. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, Jed. How are you? Mate, no complaints, no complaints. Uh, I'm fascinated to hear about this trip. So, uh, yeah, talk us through it. And, and also, man, talk us through your motivations for going there. I've been there a couple times for my own reasons. But, yeah, what made you uh, go over there? Mate, it was actually for a charity. Um, I had no intentions of going there. But the last few years, I've done a bit of work with the Mark Hughes Foundation, which is a brain cancer charity. He's the guy that does the beanies for brain cancer. He used to play for the Knights. And he um, actually got brain cancer himself. Um, He's a legend of a man. Uh, Over the years, he and his wife have raised over $30 million for brain cancer research. And, yep, unbelievable. And, mate, he runs his charity. Hughesy runs his charity at under 10%, and he has never taken a uh, wage out of it himself. So it's all all goodwill. Um, So, yeah, that, that was the motivator. And uh, the trip itself was, as you know, is unbelievable. Like it's a it's a challenge. The altitude is definitely the hardest part. Getting up over four thousand meters, um, you really start to notice the altitude. Um, it's no joke. It'll slap you down pretty quick if you fuck around and try to get up the mountain too quick. Um, yeah, but it was it was unreal. Like um, the views were spectacular, obviously, and. And just the challenge itself, we had 21 of us over there um, and 21 of us got to Everest Base Camp and 21 of us got back down all safe and uh, all safe and healthy and it was it was unreal, mate. Oh, that's magic, man. Yeah, the altitude is no joke, especially for a people like us who grow up at fucking sea yeah. level, <laughs> zero metres <Yeah>. elevation. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it, it, mate, because we're programmed to do everything as fast as we can, you know. Like, you look at a mountain, you go, I'll get up there as quick as I can and beat all the boys. But if you go in with that attitude, you will get fucked up. Like, it'll it'll slap you down quick. So you just got to take your time. You got to go up and just breathe and take in the views and stop and breathe and stop and breathe. And sort of they use this, they use this um, term where – Walk high, sleep low. I'm sure you've you've heard of that. Um, so you walk up about a couple of hundred meters above where you're going to sleep that night. You marinate in the altitude for a good hour or so, and then you walk back down and you sleep and you 
your sleep patterns are a whole lot better because that was one of the hardest things was the lack of sleep. Like if you if you just get up to a, a point, say, of 5,000 metres and try and sleep that night, it's really tough. You, your sleep patterns are shit and you need that sleep for recovery, obviously. So, yeah, that was, that was a big part of the challenge as well was just sleep. Mm. Yeah, I think the motto of my guide was walk high, stay high. He was the fucking world's biggest stoner old Subash, mate. You <laughs> fucked the whole trip. I got sick because of you. <laughs> yeah, he fucked you. Oh, man. I, yeah, I, oh, yeah, it was, it was a schmozzle. We definitely weren't, uh, oh, yeah, we weren't as probably dialed in and, and health conscious as, as we should have been. And we paid the price with, uh, I think yeah. I, I spent probably a whole day walking and shitting my pants uh, on the yeah. way down. So <laughs> that's what uh, altitude sickness is wild. Like like you said, what it does to your sleep is so trippy. It's like it's like you're not sleeping. You're asleep, yeah. but the sleep is so light that it's, yeah, yeah. it's almost like this weird kind of bizarre dream state. And um, and then it fucks your guts up and I don't know. There's, yeah. It's pretty full on, but can be managed um oh man and so you you, you went to everest base camp um yep. and so mate talk us through what that journey looks like and, and what your kind of day-to-day rituals and routines were like in terms of you know were you guys doing uh some ice baths or or, or breath work or any kind of life preserving stuff to, to keep you going yeah we um fuck it was that was the best part of the trip was um just sort of respecting the mountain, I guess, and respecting the people. Um, it was a good – the people are beautiful. The Nepalese people are so nice and, um, fuck, they got fuck all. They live in the harshest environment and they're so happy. It was a bit of a fucking – and that was the other slap in the face was, fuck, man, we whinge about so much here and we've got everything at our fingertips. I can a couple of leaves in my heated outdoor swimming pool. And uh, I got the shits about it, and these people are carrying up like eighty kilos on the on their backs in high altitude, living on fucking rice and noodles. So that was a good wake up call um, to start appreciating, mm. appreciate appreciate things at home. Definitely, um, it was a nine day track. Um, we did we did walk we did as with Husey's, um adventures. They always go the hard way. They're all. Up bunch of old Newcastle footy players and they want to they want to do everything tough to make the challenge harder to feel like they've earned the donations that have come through from their friends and family and corporations so we walked we walked we actually walked past the turn off to base camp and walked up another three or four k's to another village up higher and uh, did two days up there where we did two super hard days um up a mountain and went actually higher in a higher level than base camp. And then we walked back down, took the track back to base camp and did that on the, on the last day, which was, um, so it made it a, it made the track a, a whole lot harder the extra two days, uh, being, being at that altitude for another two days. Um, yeah, mate, it was, uh, it was a bizarre trip. And then we went back down to Kathmandu which is uh, we we sort of spent two nights there and had a nice dinner and celebrated celebrated the journey and the, and conquering sort of a pretty basic trek in its own way compared to Everest summiting Everest. 
Um, the funny thing is a few people have asked me, you know, would you ever go to the top? Would you ever go to the top? I'm like, fuck no. It'd be be like sending a non-surfer out to 50-foot jaws on the first day. That's what I would would compare it going to the top would be like for for all those people that want to to know. (laughs) And everyone that that understands surfing, that's – I would compare it to – Sending someone out fifty foot jaws oh. that's never surfed before. It's a it's a good comparison because it's become very commonplace for for people to to think they've got it in them to do that. And as a result, you know, I'm sure everyone's seen those ridiculous photos of the bottleneck at the top of Mount Everest, and yep. you know, just human shit and rubbish everywhere on, on the the mountain peak. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that film Sherpa, but yeah, um, like just. The, the narrative of that so cosmic, you know, like the way that the the Nepalese and, and the, the Sherpas basically view the mountains as gods and, and in their belief system, they're not there to be climbed. They're there to be nah. respected. Uh, and of course, you know, the kind of Western mentality is yeah, we've got, we got to conquer everything. We've got to climb everything. We've got to get to the top and the summit and, and, and prove out, like it, it, prove that, you know, we're God in a sense, uh, I guess, like, like somehow, like it's kind of proving our own uh, omnipotence by climbing these things. But um, as you see in that film, spoiler alert, like, man, a lot of people die doing it. A lot of people aren't cut out for it. A lot of people get caught out by the altitude, by the, the dynamic weather patterns up there. I'm with you, man. There's, you couldn't pay me all the money in the world to do it. I've no interest in it. Yeah, mate, hundred percent. It's a rich person sport these days. Going to the top, they um, like I've heard of people like you know what attitude does. It can it can sort of affect your coordination, your decision making. Like people get up high and just freak out, start ripping their oxygen off, and they get disorientated. They just walk off into the cold. So you got to be so, such an experienced mountaineer to do it. Um, you have to grow up in the shit. So that's that's my opinion. Um, so I'll, I'll leave that one well alone and just stick stick with my base camp, mate. Pretty pretty happy with that. It's such a sick trip, man. <laughs> I love that and and the motivation for it. Like I'm just picturing, you know, I grew up watching the knights of, of Mark Hughes' generation play, and they were very hard men. Like that that was an iconic era of rugby league. Yeah. And, um, just uh, just knowing that the the kind of culture and fabric of that city very blue collar very like but you know in that blue collar um culture is there's a a, a big strain of giving back and and, and compassion and, and and ripping in for, for others and to, to know that you're all there for that reason is so sick and what a place to go like you get rewarded. I feel like the universe kind of pats you on the back when you, you're doing things for a good reason and um yeah I'm sure you're feeling that yeah, mate, definitely. It was it was such a good feeling to get back down. Everyone safe and safe and healthy. A few people picked up a really really strong cough. That's called the Komu cough. Um, you get to a certain elevation and and you get this cough just spreads around like wildfire. But that was pretty much yeah. A few people food poisoning. But for twenty one blokes, some of them were in their sixties to get up there and get back safe. We all sort of pushed together. Um, one thing I did every morning was put everyone through a bit of a stretch session and a um, breath work session, um, like we were talking about before. And then we had um, Trent Robbo, the Roosters coach. Yeah. He was there. So I'd oh, yeah. do a bit of um, 
I'd get everyone physically prepared and then Robbo would come over the top and then read a chapter out of Make Your Bed um, by that crazy uh, US Navy SEAL guy. Oh, God. They got, got up in front of the university and, and spoke about just making your bed just to simplify things and get your day started right. And create a create a good routine. And Robo Robo would read a chapter out of that book every morning, and just prep everyone up mentally. So it was it was unreal to, to set the combo of the physical and mental preparation before we'd start each day. Um, and I think that really helps. And um, a lot of the boys were grateful for that. Oh man, that's that's sick. I, I didn't realise you had yeah, Roosters coach Trent Robo <laughs> in the mix there as well. He's such an interesting character. Like you know what he's done with the Roosters, bringing them up to, to Mullum for the training camps and, and kind of tapping them into some of the more uh, fringe but, like, cutting-edge health and wellness techniques. Like, uh, yeah, he's a really interesting guy. I, 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 I dig his methods and obviously being a Chooks fan, he's, he's done such great work for us <laughs> for, for yeah. a solid stint. Like, yeah, it was a weird combo. I'm a mad rabbit fan and... Roosters and rabbits working together was good. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you didn't feel like pushing we'll leave them off it on the, the mountain. Edge. We'll leave it on the mountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was weird. Let's never talk about it again. I hate you. Now we're back in civilization. Yeah. Oh, so good, man. Well, yeah. Talk to us about you know growing up in Maroubra. Like, um, I, I was just thinking before this, you know, you're a couple years older than me, which puts you smack bang in the middle of a raucous era in uh, the eastern suburbs and, and South Sydney, like. There was so much going on when you were growing up in that part of the world. Uh, you know, riots. Uh, you know, your mates copping a, a murder charge. Like, uh, you know, there was the city was was intense then. I guess prior to camera phones and uh, there was f- fuck all money around in the city. A lot of poor people either renting or in commission flats, um, and that was the era that you grew up in like you know but yet now i look at where you're at and, and, and you've you've kind of come full circle or, or done a 180 whatever you want to call it where you, you you've so committed to health and wellness and, and being a a solid mentor for for young people and, and old people um but yeah talk to us about your, your origins back home man yeah mate you're right it was a wild place growing up um there was freaking hanging around Maroubra. There was murderers, rapists, like guys that have been convicted of both or either or. Um, a lot of blokes are dead now or spending a lot of time in jail. So it, it was – but when you sort of grew up in the area, you didn't know much different. Um, you just thought it was the norm. But as as I've grown up and got older and moved out of Maroubra, now live up on the Gold Coast – um, and Maroubra's changed a lot, you know. It's it's actually a nice place to bring your family up in these days. But like you said, there was a lot of housing commission. Um, it was definitely a working class area back in back in those days. Um, yeah, it was it was a. I'm grateful for it in a way, which it taught me a lot. Um, taught me how to be pretty streetwise because if you weren't, you get fucked over pretty quick. Um, you, you, it was a funny one where you couldn't show weakness. You had to be on guard every day. Uh, if you showed weakness, you just get walked over. So it taught you sort of just to be on guard, um, just to be aware of your surroundings at all times, I guess. 
which um, has has helped in later life with, with uh, different situations. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful I grew up there. Uh, I don't regret anything. Um, living up on the Gold Coast, I think, was just a good move for my family to grow up in uh, my kids. I've got three kids. Um, just to grow up more as we were kids. Like the, the city and Maroubra is so crazy these days and it's changed a lot. It is a nice place to bring your family up in, but it was just, it was just a bit too hectic, the rat race. I'd rather bring my kids up. We live on a river up here where they can fish, they can surf, they can ride their bikes to school. Just grow up a bit more like like when we were kids, a bit more innocent um, and not so fast-paced. Yeah, back to Maroubra, it was like growing up, um, obviously the riots and, you know, fights with police and God, that took all that. The 21st, that all that. mate, that <laughs> fucking, and I was yeah. at Randwick RSL, fucking yeah, hell. That, you were so yeah. You would have been there for that, obviously. Yeah, that was that was one of the that was one of the, uh, the that was the one that gets the mentions a lot these days. Um, the fight with the police, but um, yeah, I actually talked about that on the trip. I got questioned one night, and uh, one of the boys brought it up and said, "What what happened that night?" It was it was um, it was pretty funny to relive it and go through it all like, um, and the way the way. Uh, <clears throat> the media took over and took hold of it and then all the boys that did get charged with assault and affray and they're all pretty heavy charges all the charges against the boys ended up getting dropped but it did cost them a lot of money in the process of getting those charges dropped so the cops sort of won in that in that way mm. but no one was ever um convicted of anything which was nice um so it sort of showed, it sort of showed that the cops were in the wrong in it essentially because um and once the judges saw what was what was being presented before them they just they were end up throwing it all out of court because um there was uh there was enough evidence to show the boys were just defending themselves but uh yeah it's a funny one it's a it's a it's a wild it was a wild ride back then definitely a wild ride but um yeah coming out the other side and these days, I sort of um, would much rather a nice, quiet, peaceful life of health and wellness. Um, yeah, still, still get my fix of doing jujitsu three times a week. Um, yeah, it gives me a good, good outlet. I get a bit of a bit of a pump out of it. Get beat up, do a bit of beating up, and it keeps you pretty level-headed. Yeah, it's a it's a magic tradition that i've tapped in myself and and tapped out more often than not but um it's sick and uh yeah like man crazy too like that era that you're from like you know being a little bit younger it was also like the golden era of maroubra sporting achievement in my opinion um you know i I remember growing up and and what like all like i guess every little suburb gets their turn but when i was a kid it it was maroubra like the best rugby league players the best surfers were coming out of there and they're all pretty much the same age whether it's you know john sutton rennie matua uh you know kobe dry uh uh, mark like vast like it, it it was a man it was a a wild kind of movement uh of, of sporting excellence and, and really like work hard train hard play hard kind of mentality and yeah like obviously uh you know 
there was a few sparks flying off at times too. But uh, it, it was, you know, especially for kids like myself from, you know, these kind of single parent uh, broken homes uh, in the area, it was actually get, did give us something to, to aim for. And it was like a relatable kind of narrative that you could connect with. Uh, yeah, what was it like, I guess, you know, being in the midst of, of that, watching your mates, like, go on and, and be on telly, playing first grade, winning fucking premierships, playing for Australia, playing for New South Wales, and then, you know, getting major spreads, covers of tracks, magazines, covers of stab, covers of every magazine, video sections, like, all at the same time, while at the same time, there's there's murder charges and, and riots coming to your beach. <laughs> yeah, um, mate, it, it was like, it was the golden era because a lot of the boys, like I said before, you couldn't show weakness. And um, I don't know, I guess it bred, it bred a fair bit of toughness into everyone. It, it bred, I'm not saying it was the right thing because you couldn't talk about your problems. If, oh, you look like sounding like a weak cunt. But you had to you had to perform every day. Like if you go down the beach, it would be whoever could, you know, surf the biggest wave, whoever could hit the hardest in jiu-jitsu or, or – or tap someone out the quickest in jiu-jitsu or hit the hardest at boxing. It'd be whoever could pull the hottest chick. It'd be it'd be a competition every second of the day. Every Everything was a com- competition to see who could do it the best. And I guess it bred um, a couple of really good athletes out of it um, that have gone on, like Sato captaining South to a premiership. and Unbelievable. Yeah. That um, made him, and, and the loyalty there for Sato because oh. he was there. He was there. He the went ba- through their the bad old years. Eh? South. <laughs> yeah, he went through Fuck. like winning, winning two or three games a year <laughs> to actually coming through and captaining the team in a premiership. And he had offers offers to leave the club all the way through his career because he was a standout, and he stayed loyal and ended up holding that uh, trophy above his head in two thousand and fourteen. Mate, and, um, it's it, it, it's one of the the kind of most underrated and, and undertold stories. Sato's career. I mean, it was unbelievable. Like you said, South got booted from the comp in in '99 or whatever it was, and I guess he come on the scene not that long after, and like yeah. they were rubbish at the start. And 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 just to see a guy, yeah, like you said, mate, stay so true to his club and his people like that, and, and set that kind of example. Uh, it's so rare in the modern game. It's, it's, in fact, I think he's the only guy. Like you, you look at Penrith now, and there's kind of inklings of it here and there, but ultimately they're all taking the cash. Like, yeah. uh, and he never did, man. And he, he got his cosmic pat on the back yeah. with a premiership, captaining <laughs> the team, mate. It's so iconic. Yeah, and um, and just yeah, obviously Cobe was leading the way with his surfing at that time. Um, just pushing everyone, like everyone was. He was a standout and going the hardest and got the most coverage. But he was definitely pushing everyone in the ocean as well, and that helped a lot of the young kids back then. Um, trying, trying to you know, COVID take them on trips and and look after them in that sense. Um, but yeah, there was. But there, on the on the flip side of the coin, there was a lot of wasted talent too. That was like because they're obviously the guys you didn't hear about, the guys that were on the verge of making it and just got caught up in the party scene before that actually made it. So there was a fucking shitload of um, talent that was lost just to just to partying and fucking party drugs and alcohol and 
So they're the ones you don't hear about. I reckon there could have been a good 10 more in that, in that group, in that generation that could have succeeded in a high-level sport. But obviously there's, a, there's that double-edged coin where you, you get caught up in the party scene and it's all over. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, talk to us about that because I guess like that's the, the, the dark side of having so many, uh, you know, a big deprived kind of housing commission community there. Like, uh, you know, yeah, you get some cheap rent and you're near the beach. And, and to be honest, like that area of, of Maroubra is like the creme de la creme of houses, really. Like it beats being in Mount Jewel, yeah. like in Redfern or, 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 oh, or whatever. Yeah. But um, there's no getting around it. Like you're growing up surrounded by criminals like and and that's just the hustle that everyone's running because i don't know like when you got no assets in your family and, and you're a single parent you know it's it's hard to envision yourself living an ordinary working life owning a house like all those things so people kind of take the shortcuts and and, and get into to trafficking and 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 whatnot so i guess like that that must have been hard to navigate uh, as a young man, especially seeing like, you know, some of the toughest, biggest local legends are caught up in that racket. And it, it must've just been so juicy and easy to slip into that path if you wanted to. Yeah, there was, there was always drugs around. They were always on hand, even from a young age. There was always that element of um, everything you wanted was pretty much, you know, at, at the pub that night. So you could get your hands on it pretty easy. And if, like I said, there was that flip side, there was that dark side. It wasn't only who could, um, you know, fight the best, surf the biggest waves. It was also whoever could party the hardest. So the benders the benders went on for days. Mm. And um, they'd always, every weekend, there'd be a bender at someone's place or down the beach. And it, it definitely drew any kid that had, sort of a darkness to them but was athletic or did have a bit of talent they just got caught up in that world and um, like I said it was there was a lot of wasted talent there was a lot of good boxers um, you know we had Ronnie Reardon coming through it was a crazy boxer for his, for his size and he's he um, we had Kurt Barham who, was, who did really well in boxing as well so there was you know Boxing is such a hard sport, as you know. It's uh, and there's probably a few other kids that could have been really talented boxers, but yep, got caught up in the party circuit. Got caught up in the, you know, I've I've already made it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let my hair down, mm. and uh, they weren't even close to making it. But um, yeah. I guess that happens in a lot of in society itself a lot. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Yeah, the, the you know as soon as you get that first taste of success, you put your feet up and and, yep. and think you've made it, and you, and you start and you get you get your first paychecks rolling in from the chosen discipline, and uh, yeah, what a what a freaking error that is, and just yes. that that culture you're talking about, like it, it was so common growing up, like at in that era, and it's been interesting to watch, you know, the people who went in into that hardcore play hard, work hard, party hard kind of world, you know, some of the, 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 the biggest surfing and sporting heroes disappeared down that chute and ended up either dead or nearly dead and in rehab. And they, and the ones that have survived have come out the other side and they're just kind of almost, 
yelling from the rooftops, don't fucking make the mistake I made. (laughs) I know, mate. Surfing's a fucking prime example. Surfing, you couldn't get a better example of, you know, seeing kids that have just just on the verge of making it and got caught up in their own sort of head. They get caught up in their own head thinking they're way better than what they are and then just hit the party circuit, especially in those days. Like you could, you could name 20 blokes straight off the top of your head that in those days could have been something special but got caught up in the alcohol and drug culture and never never made it. Now where are they? Like, you don't, I don't know. It's like it's like they think there's going to be someone giving a paycheck for the rest of their life um, of a thousand bucks a week. But as soon as they f- turn at that certain age and companies realize they're not going to make it, they get dropped like a hot potato. Yeah. You know, the team managers have dropped them, phone stops ringing, and, it, and they go into depression. Mm. It's, a, it's one of the, they just get so depressed because it just ends so quickly. And uh, when that phone stops ringing, and all, and then all their all their fucking all their hanger oners drop off, mm. they realise a lot of people were just hanging around them for who they were, mm. um, and that that hurts a lot of people too. Totally, yeah, and it's crazy now. You know, you're working at the HPC, so you get to see. You know, I guess they say culture is a reaction to what came before. So, like from that kind of really drug fueled, heavily. Uh, macho show no weakness culture now you, you work yeah. at the hpc and you're seeing this next generation come up you, you, you're callum robson's you um you know you uh, jacob wilcox's you uh, yeah. there's t- you know molly picklem whoever you want to name it and they're they're, mm. they're young they're clean they're committed yeah. and uh yeah it just seems like that like drugs are just not cool anymore <laughs> yeah it's done the best full circle like you look at Jack Robbo and Ethan Ewing, like you couldn't get two more athletic, more professional young men than those two kids. They're, they're, I call them kids because they feel like kids to me still. Um, but they're, they're young men they're, and they're, they're beasts. They're absolute beasts. They're competitive beasts. Like I, lo- I love watching both of them surf in their own ways. Um, what Ethan did with his back injury coming from Tahiti and then going, getting second in the world in California, only a, only what six weeks, eight weeks after breaking his back. You know, even though it was, wasn't a huge break, but he still just gritted down and and just took took it by the horns and put some good people around him. You know, he's got Bede in his corner, he had Mick in his corner, um, and just the the people they are. Um, they've all I see them all the time. They've always got time for the kids. They're just like and Callum as well. Callum's such a good kid, and he trains. I watch him train. He's a beast, mm. and you know he doesn't have the talent that um, Jack and Ethan have got, obviously. But he's his hard work and dedication will get him a long way, and and I, I think that's that's the, what kids should look up to as well, because you see those that talent come through and the the talent that doesn't have the hard work. It's the old saying, we've heard it a million times, but you can have all the talent in the world if you don't put that hard work in, you aren't, you're not going to get there. It doesn't matter who you are, you've got to put that hard work in at the end of the day. But then you've got guys like Ethan and Jack who have got both. Yeah. They've got a strong, strong work ethic and they've got talent and they're fucking deadly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I love it, man. I, I just love that generation, how committed they are. And, and they're also, you know, very uh, attached to getting Australia back into this position yep. of being a surfing superpower where we belong, where we've always been until, you know, the Brazilians came along. And um, so it's it's easy to get behind, but I, I kind of also <laughs> never thought I'd see the day because growing up, surf culture was <laughs> so degenerate. It was so drug fucked, yeah. like... Um, and, and like, you know, the local pros, the local heroes, um, from the area were just like the most famous degenerates. Like they were famous for it. And it it was funny. Like, like, yeah, it was, it was funny to watch and be a part of, but it was so toxic and the lifespan, both of your career and actual everyday life is so short. Um, you know, and you, you inevitably end up destroying relationships, you know, with, wives yeah. with, with kids um oh, people take their own lives like all of this was actually the reality of that degenerate culture so it, it, it's it's pretty good to see really the way it's shifted yeah it's unreal mate it's um it's definitely a step in the right direction i mean you can fuck you can still go out and have a good time after an event have have fun no one's saying lock the doors and become a freaking house plant <laughs> but but you just don't have to you got you got shit to do. You got another flight to get on. You've got you've got to go and win another event. You've got to get home and recover and rest and get ready for get ready for the next year or the Olympics. These kids have got a lot on. Um so yeah, it's just a fucking better path. Like and it's and it's a better path for for the younger generations to follow too. Who knows? It might go full circle again. You know, then people might get sick of this, and they might go full circle again. But I'd, I'd much rather see it the way it, the hands that it's in now, and um, and progress the progression it's in now than than going full circle back to the the uh, early eighties. You know, late seventies, early eighties crew. <laughs> Because not not much good come out of that. Not really. No, a lot of good stories. <laughs> but that's about it. Uh, it, it. Talking about guys who straddled that line between you know party boy and absolute elite talent, Taj Burrow. That that was you know you were brought on uh, to coach him at a certain point, and I guess kind of. Uh, get the best out of him uh, after years of, you know, the guy knew how to have a good time as good as anyone yeah. in the history of pro surfing. Um, yeah, talk to us about how that that partnership began and, and, and what your role was with him. Yeah, um, mate. Yeah, I ended up working for Taj for seven years. So I travelled with him for full time for, for those seven years. And, mate, we had a ball. Um the partnership come about, he was just looking for someone to, you know, give him a bit of grit, um, help him. We, we never got to our final goal of winning a world title, which still stings these days. Um, and I'll, I'll hold myself partly to blame. Um, but he he did have so much talent and he, he ended up putting in the hard work as well. Um, you know, it was it was – and he had that – Larrikin side to him or the party side and um, we, we just had to rein that in a bit. So we just made a rule that if we went out the night before, we'd be in the gym the next day at 7am and that kept, kept a bit of a lid on the on the party side of it because there was there was still guys in that generation when we were, when we were travelling 
um, that got caught up in the party circuit, and it didn't it didn't last long for them after after a year or two. You know, their results had dropped. You could just see them slowly. It was a slow death because I was still just partying way too hard, and it was um, yeah. So we we just had to put a cap on it. Um, he was notorious for having a good time at that stage and eating shit food. So I just fixed up the way he ate. He lost a fair bit of weight, looked a lot fitter and felt more confident in himself. And vanity's the great motivator, you know. <laughs> you, you look better, you, you feel better, you get a little bit more motivated to do well. Um, yeah, but it was it, mate, it was the time of our lives. Um, I, I don't regret a minute of it. Um, you know, we're still really good mates these days. Still speak to him a fair bit. Or he was over in, over this way a couple of months ago, and we hung out and had a good time. Um, yeah, it's uh, it was it was definitely a time in my life where I learned a lot too. Um, just that traveling from country to country, and very very grateful for for the time we spent on the road and and um, over those seven years, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. They say life kind of moves forward in seven-year increments. You know, there's like kind of big shifts or that's like a chapter yeah. or, or a shift. And fuck, that is a chapter, man. Seven years on the road doing the world tour with TB. And I mean, like, yeah, he never won a world title. But he was like his video parts, you know, it's funny to think back. Like maybe if he hadn't invested so much time into making the most killer fucking surf films of all time, <laughs> he might've won a world title. And you look at guys now like uh, Medina Toledo, these guys have never even really put out a surf section, let alone multiple feature films. Uh, and for that reason, like I think Taj is still like considered probably the most exciting uh, and one of the most loved surfers of his generation. And the fact he didn't win a world title, I think for people who grew up watching Sabotage and Montage, um, you know, it's irrelevant, really. To, to me, it's pretty irrelevant anyway. Yeah, it's, mate. It's, um, it was just one of our goals and we didn't reach it. So that's why it gets to me a bit. But, um, mate, 100%. Like, he's such a legend and, and the way – like it did cut into his time a little bit. I mean, a lot of editing and a lot of time behind the scenes of you know getting things right to put out these videos and it um, but that's what he loved doing as well. He loved he loved doing that. So it was and it was a good hobby. Like you can have he could have been spending that time you know partying or doing other things, but it was a pretty good hobby to have on on the side. Um, yeah, but it it was all part of it, and I'm sure he has no regrets. I've spoken to him about it. He doesn't have any regrets. He's got two beautiful daughters and a family, so mate, he's happy. From that seven year period, like, what are the standout moments or or, or memories? Uh, you know, whether it be contest wins or, or or places you visited. Mate, definitely, definitely the two big swells. We got that swell at, in Fiji that I can't remember what year it was. 2012, um, yeah. 2012? Yep. Yep, yep the one where Vaughn only got caught under that. <laughs> <Yeah. nasty bread. laughs> that. That was probably one of my best memories of the whole seven years, Vaughn <laughs> O'Connor. <laughs> um, nah, mate, 
Fuck, definitely the two swells, the, the Fiji swell and the Tahiti swell. I'll never forget either of them. Like they were both just as powerful and as big as just each other. Probably the Tahiti swell was just with that big stormy when um, just the, the boys that were charging in that when it got real big, Nathan Fletcher and um, McCure and Cobe, uh, Dingo, fuck, that was big. That was and, – and, and Maya Gerber nearly drowned. I think it was rem, – oh, remember, good. I don't know if you remember when Poto just grabbed her by the hair and oh. she 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 – I saw death in her face, mate. I was <laughs> I was sitting in the channel on on a big um, stand up paddle board, paddled out from the from the mainland. The, the water was moving out to sea that quick. I got out to out to the channel in about five minutes. No way. And there was fridges and there was shit in the ocean <laughs> that had been washed. <laughs> there was full on floating um, chest freezers in the water, floating off people's properties because the waves had washed them into the ocean. And there was just dirt and shit everywhere. And um, Maya got this wave, and she sort of she sort of pumped too far through. She sort of rode it too far in, and she was probably about a hundred meters behind us. And we were right on the last buoy on the in the channel. And mate, this I think it might have been Nate Fletcher's wave, that big one. And I she got caught on the inside on that thing. Oh my Mate, it was so big. Like we paddled over the middle of it in the channel and it must have been 20 foot. Just This is in the channel. Oh. And I, we looked behind. I looked behind, got her scratched over this, this wave in the channel and looked behind and she was under it. She copped it on the head and then she copped another big one on the head and then Poto, the legend, she would have been fucked without him. He just fucking fanged it in there on the ski. The ski was cavitating. There was that much water and froth and it wasn't hardly moving. Grabbed her by the hair and just fucking threw her because she was unconscious. She had a vest on, threw on the sled and just fanged it back out and just made it over the next one. He held his nerve and just turned the ski on its side and just floated over the top of the wave with her on the back and then went out another couple of hundred metres out off the channel and put her in clear water. And we paddled over as quick as we could because she was on the back, kind of on the back of the sled, half in and half out of the water. And she was fucking gone. Oh. Like she comes, she comes through on the back of the sled. But I thought she was fucked. And mate, that was that was one of the that was one of the standouts I remember. And she can still remember it too. She she goes, I, I remember fucking coming to and seeing the look on your guys' faces who were looking at me going, Fuck, how are you still alive? Like that was crazy. It was a crazy, crazy swell, crazy energy. Like I've never seen anything like it before. So definitely those two swells stand out. Yeah. Man, I'm getting like Full chicken skin as you're explaining that poto is one of the all-time greats like just the rig on him like he's a jack <laughs> unit and you know the, the surfing he was doing uh you know like he was on the world tour like you know surfing kira like a, a tahitian guy just from the islands and yeah. you know, it's so far ahead of his time like pretty random to just 
kind of make your way onto the tour from Tahiti at that time and then just dominating chopes back in the day on those big boards and just this water patrol guru. Yeah. Oh, man, what a lunatic. That That is the Mate. craziest story, man. Yeah, he was fuck. I've, I've never seen water skills like it. I've never seen anyone fucking read the ocean, get over the next set. Because if you if he had a mistimed that last wave or hit it on the wrong angle, he was going, him and the ski and her were all going back to the reef. Oh. And he fucking did everything. And the ski was cavitating and he did everything to perfection. It was fucking, it was like watching a surgeon the way he did. Wow. <laughs> That's so psycho. And it just goes to show too, like on days like that, like I forgot, like I, I remember that story. of uh, uh, I remember like Sean Doherty writing it up or, or someone about him pulling uh, her out by the hair, but all those other details never heard of. And just, Hang on, mate. You, you just cut out, Chad. Oh, yeah. Can you hear us? It's just a um, bit, bit glitchy. Oh, yeah. How about? Now? That's better. That's better? Classic techno gibberish how is it <laughs> yeah mate that's better oh sweet yeah and and like all those details like didn't really make the cut so hearing it from you now is so crazy and it just kind of makes me think about the cosmic nature of code red swells and, and waves of mortal coincidence and if you're out there for the wrong reasons if you um are not yep. up to up to that standard if you don't love it and want it with every fiber and selling your being like that's what happens to you yeah well she copped a fair bit of criticism for being out there and you know what i agree like i don't think she she should have been out there it was too big too too dangerous it was just it was one for a certain group of people it was one of those swells for a certain group of people um yeah it was it, it was fucking big like it was, it was dark. It was stormy. It was just, it was a pretty evil swell. And then um, it was Laurie Towner, and who was Laurie's tow partner? Oh, Dylan, Dylan Longbottom. Yeah, Dylan Longbottom. They stole the show, mate. They were fucking, they were going everything and loving every minute. Like you just said, you got to want to be there. You got to want to own it. And they were fucking, they were like, like pretending like it was eight foot. They were, they were just going so hard. They were putting each other into the perfect spot every time. And watching those two, they dominated everyone out there. Oh, I'm getting the chills again, man. A couple of pikey bogan <laughs> battlers putting on a clinic at the end of the road. They had no right, but look at them. It's, how good are they? They're, Two of the, the most understated, humble maniacs to ever set foot on wax, man. And uh, to, to, to put on a clinic in conditions like that is just, yeah, testament. You know, they're not from Tahiti. They're not, e they're not even from the fucking Pacific. They're, you know, yeah. Laurie Town is from fucking Yamba, like on the North Coast. But just – and and Dill, you know, obviously like put so many of the South Coast slabs on the map, but just wizards – in those kinds of conditions, man, I can't imagine what you saw that day. Like just the energy and the noise and the fucking detonations of, of the wave. Oh man, that must I like because you, you probably thought that. Oh yeah, like I kind of know what nature is capable of, or at least I often find myself guilty of that. Going, oh yeah, like you know the swell's going to be this size and and then you get out there and, and you realize it's like pretty psychedelic sometimes uh in conditions 
that are bigger than what you thought, where the ocean starts to do shit that you're like, fuck, I didn't know this was even possible. Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. And that, that one big one that broke in Fiji, there was one set that just capped, capped all the other waves of the day. This one that no one even could scratch into. It broke so hard on the reef and, and it, it was such a big wave that it actually, you could smell fish and seaweed and, mate, it, it hit the reef that hard. It, it brought up a smell of like like a, a real strong reefy ocean fishy smell. That's that's how hard it hit the reef. It, it smelled like it broke the reef. Like it was, it was so intense and so big. And that was that one wave where I think it's Healy's boards in the lip. He sort of bailed, and I think he, I think it was Healy's board that it's it's a fuck eight to ten foot board, maybe even bigger, and it looks like a little toothpick in the lip. That's that one. Yeah, that's, that's that the famous one. photo. That's that wave. Yeah, and it, that wave I'll never forget. That was over the seven years. I reckon that that's the one strongest memory I've got of the whole thing, of the whole seven years is that one wave. Watching that break through the lineup, that was hectic. Man, so sick. I can't believe you were there for these moments. Like, these moments are right up the top of surfing folklore. Like, those two swells, uh, in my opinion, like, it's, it's like, it's never, they've never been topped. Like, they're, they're so loose. And that wave, to see that thing rifle and thunder down the reef in, in real life and then to cop that smell of herds like i guess everyone smelt it so everyone who was there on the day copped a whiff but what a again bizarre thing for nature to produce just like these glitches like where you realize in those moments that you're just this fucking ant and that you have no control and you know nothing <laughs> <laughs> You, you know nothing, mate. You just you just feel so insignificant and so little, so small out there. It's like a that's another reality check too. I love a good reality check, like every now and again, whether it's um, you know, just just doing cold water immersions of the day, or or just just you know doing taking yourself out of your comfort zone. I think that those those times create good memories, and it creates creates a little bit of grit, a little bit of resilience. And I I've, I think um I think that's what men need every now and again. I think that's what maybe men and women need every now and again, just to take yourself out of your comfort zone and take yourself out of your out of your everyday life. That becomes you, you probably try to make it as cushy as possible, and getting out of that sort of routine of comfort and, mm. and relaxation and putting yourself out there and I think um, it's such a it's such a good way to stay young and healthy and and maintain a, a nice balance in life where where you take yourself out of your comfort zone and give yourself a little kick in the ass every now and again um, yeah that's what I've been working on a lot lately with my training and and um, I find it really and all my all, all the people I train as well, just finding challenges and different things. Like the last last few years, we've been doing this eight-week challenge and uh, it really takes you out of your comfort zone. We don't drink any alcohol for eight weeks, which is um, probably the number one priority. And we go and get a deck. Everyone in the challenge, we had 80 of us this year. We all went and got DEXA scans and 
in that DEXA scan, it tells you exactly your exact amount of body fat and your exact amount of lean muscle mass and your visceral fat, the fat around your belly. That's that dangerous fat that we want to get rid of. Right. So we do we get a uh, DEXA scan at the start of the challenge. We do eight weeks of really clean eating, no processed food, no alcohol, um, plenty of strength training and conditioning. And then at the end of the eight weeks, we get another DEXA scan and we have a look at our, our results. Obviously, we're looking at body fat, lean muscle mass, and the visceral fat around your belly. And so we want our lean muscle mass to go up, our body fat to go down, and obviously the visceral fat around your belly to go down. And the results we've been getting over those eight weeks are incredible. Like it's um, it's, it's pretty much you see blokes that really need to do it, especially the eight weeks off the piss. Um, and, yeah, we've, we've, that definitely takes you out of your comfort zone. But at, at eight weeks – is only a small part of the year, but it it sets you up for the rest of the year too because you just feel you've got a different outlook on everything. Um, you learn how to socialise without alcohol, obviously. You learn how to take a, take a little bit better of a more a better eating plan, cutting out processed food. And, uh, yeah, it's been working really well and we're looking forward to doing it again this year, all in 24 so sick, man. Yeah, that addiction to comfort, it's something Wim Hof talks about quite a bit, um, just that, you know, we live in a society that facilitates comfort all the time. Definitely. And it, it makes Definitely. us sick. We're not built for that. We're, we're hardy creatures built to be fucking chasing down, uh, you know, woolly mammoths on the savannah and, and, and getting blasted by wind and heat and rain and... And you look at Wim Hof, I've, I've met him, and he's fucking the most weathered cunt. It's wild. Yeah. Like, he's just been so hammered by the elements, but he's so full of muscle and that, that brown adipose fat and and just energy. And, um, yeah, like our culture really is wearing us down just through, through comfort, through comfort eating, through temperature-controlled yep. Uh, houses are uh, through, you know, just everything being at, at the tip of your fingers and you don't even have to, to get up to get anything anymore. It can all get delivered to your mouth if you want it. But uh, yeah. like, yeah, it, it, it's cool, man. I, th- this is one thing that, that fascinates me about your journey is, you know, you're a wizard in the realm of sports science, training, nutrition. And like, where did where did that journey begin for you? Right I've always been interested in it, even from a young age. Even the only thing I would concentrate on in school was um, learning about the body and, and sport and physical education. I didn't have any other interests at school. I wouldn't. I seriously sat there and looked out the window for thirteen years at school. Um, I didn't have it. Was the classroom wasn't? I was one of those kids where I wasn't good in the classroom, and I can understand kids these days who don't like being in a classroom. They're pretty much outdoor kids and they don't get much out of it. Um, but, yeah, I just was definitely interested in the human body, nutrition. Um, so that, that just took me on the path I'm at today. Right from, right from a young age, I just always wanted to be healthy and fit and strong. And I don't know what it was. Something something just draws me to that that, that sort of – way of life and I, I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. I'm happy I'm really happy doing it. Fifty one years old. I can still keep up with my kids and um I like like they say, health is wealth. You can't you can't buy your health back. 
you can have all the money in the world. I've trained people with all the money in the world. And I'll guarantee you when they're really sick, they would swap that money for their health any day. When, yeah. it, when it comes down to it and they're really sick, and I guarantee you they would give all the money back to have their health back straight away. You're 51. Fuck, you look 41, dude. That's wild. I'm <laughs> tripping on that. Yeah. 51, yeah. Oh, that's Sometimes cool. I feel it. After a big session of jiu-jitsu, I feel 51 every every part of it. But, um, mate. I, I feel 51 yeah. after a big session of jiu-jitsu, man. That's shit. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, man, that's wild. And so, you know, just to to pass on some of that that knowledge and wisdom to to our listeners, like what what are some of the the real fundamentals in terms of you know creating a good healthy structure or routine that's going to you know provide resilience, longevity, good health, mental and, and physical. Mate, it's it's fucking so easy. It's just the basics: good sleep patterns, stay hydrated eat well and get up and move. It's just those those key things that will never change. There's no magic pill. You just have to dedicate yourself to do those things. Sometimes it's not easy um, getting it, you know, get out of bed at 5 a.m. every morning. Go do your workout. Your social outlet is, is meeting up with your friends at 5 in the morning, training hard, go and grab a coffee together, talk a bit of shit. Then, mate, your day, have a swim in the ocean, bang, your day's set up like you couldn't get a better start to your day. You feel incredible. Um, you create you create a little group of 10 or 15 of your mates and you do that every day or three or four times a week and that'll change your life because then you, you've got your social out yet. Let You don't need to go to the pub and drink 15 schooners of a Friday afternoon to catch up with your mates. You can do it. I, I still do it, but... I don't do it anywhere as near as often as I used to. I, I know I have four or five beers and ride my bike to the pub and ride home so, so I don't have to drive. But, um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's just um, – it's just the key things. Sleep sleep patterns and recovery is so important. Yeah. Like there, there is no better recovery or keeping yourself young than working on your sleep patterns. Yeah, I love that too, inverting the, the kind of social setting. So instead of, you know, meeting up with your mates um, yeah. at the pub, it, it's it's meeting up with your mates after ripping in for like physically uh, for coffee, you know, and then like right. that's just that you can get the same social fix from that that you w- w- would get from well, the pub. You, you, get, you get to train hard with your mates. You're all going forward with your friends. You get to go and socialise for half an hour, drinking a quick cup of coffee. You all remember what each other has said. No one's talking shit because you're not on the piss. You're all, you're all making sense, and you just get that. It's it's just that. It definitely that's the biggest thing I've noticed as I've got a little bit older. Is is that side of my life is something I really look forward to. Is is just going and and getting up at five, meeting like I just said, meeting up with your mates having a session, going for a swim, grabbing a coffee, and that that social outlet, that if you create a thread with your mates, so you're all in the thread, you all know where you're going to meet up. It's so easy to do and it's it's definitely one of the biggest changes. And I've got probably maybe 10 or 15 groups that are doing that these days and around around from Sydney up to Byron, up to the Gold Coast and – 
um, a couple in South, one in South Australia, um, one group of guys that are doing it over there. And it made the mental health changes in that group or in that little community. The boys down at Lennox do it really well. Yeah. They've got their Bodhi crew down there. They do it better than anyone I've seen. Um, they just meet up, do that, do what I've just said, and uh, it's changed their whole community. Oh, dude, that's that's magic. I needed to hear that. That's yeah, it, it really the power in that, like, because in our culture, you know, we don't have like these kind of meeting points, these structured meeting points, like church, like I don't know, you know, you go to Bali, you go to Nepal, like they have these kind of really old school ancient structured communities we've kind of lost all that so we're having to rebuild yeah. uh some form of structure to bring us together as because that that's where all the the mental health gains seem to be being made at the moment is just having really good solid communities like we're, we're in this kind of age of, of loneliness and, and isolation and fuck it's toxic so true so true so like you know, social media gets a bad rap, but, you know, it's got its goods and bads. But, um, mate, and then the, the women start doing it. Then they, the, the families get together, on, especially down at Lennox. So like, like I said, they do it really well because they had a bit of a problem with youth suicide down there. And um, since they've been implementing this sort of way of living um, and training together and helping each other out, whether it was through the floods or – They've got such a strong community down there these days. If I didn't live on the Gold Coast, I reckon that's where I'd be living down in down around that Lennox Way with with those guys. Just just the way they they all help each other out and, and have come together. It's um it's pretty it's really cool to see, and I think a lot of other communities could learn off it. Yeah, it's one of the sickest stories, and you know if they can do that anyone can like you know lennox yeah. uh you go back 10 20 years and it, it was like an intensely localized pretty kind of yep. surly uh aggressive joint and it, it that that ultimately didn't generate good mental health outcomes whatever was happening at that time it, it, it fucking i guess it poisoned a few minds because yeah that they did lose a few young people some, yep. like some who some of whom were amazing surfers uh, and, and they've come out swinging in the opposite and, you know, they got those leaders like uh, Woody and, and Barnsley and yeah. yourself coming down here yeah. and putting them th- and, and Melling and, and whoever else, like um, there's heaps of them, I'm not naming, but, yeah. um, and, and so, and I've seen you coming down, putting them through their, their paces uh, and yeah, they, they have, mate, they've created this, fuck, barely a week goes by, it feels like, or, or a month goes by when they're not doing some huge community rip in for, for some cause or, um, you know, or just the weekly, um, meetups that, yeah, the Bodie boys do. It's, it, it's, it's yeah. mad. What legends. Yeah, mate, it's, fuck, it's pretty, it's, it's a pretty sort of good motivator for, uh, for other people to go and have a look at or, or just, just even create a group chat with 10 of your friends or just just get that get that first initial part started and it all it's all becomes easy from there you just feed off each other you motivate each other and like you're saying society has lost that um and uh like it's such a such a simple way to bring everyone together fully and finally man like yeah tell us about you know what your doing at the moment um you know how people can connect with you and um yeah like you know kind of what what your future is looking like 
Yeah, I'm pretty happy with the way things are going. Um, live, a, live a pretty wholesome life, that's for sure. I'm never going to be a millionaire, but I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> I, I do my, you know, I'm training every week with uh, different crews and I'm training different groups and do a little bit of work up around Gold Coast, down to Lennox. Um, definitely looking forward to the 24 eight-week challenge. Um if anyone wants to we call them chapters, we've got the sort of Maruba chapter, the Byron chapter, Lennox chapter, Gold Coast chapter. If anyone else wants to throw a chapter in um, to our eight-week challenge, we'll be starting it in 24, get in contact with me. Um, it's pretty easy. You just grab 10 mates, 10, 15, 20 mates. Even if you've got five mates, just, just get a group together and um, you're more than welcome to jump in and do this eight-week challenge with us. Uh, we we uh, we uh, support each other. Um, we'll make it bigger and bigger every year. Uh, yeah, mate. Anyone up around the Gold Coast wants to come jump into sessions, I'm open to pretty much everyone coming in and jumping in um, and enjoying themselves and being part of the group up here. Uh, that's about it, mate. That's magic, man. Uh, we'll throw our full weight behind that. And, yeah, mate, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jed. Good to have a chat, mate. Fucking oh. Epic, mate. Good to see a, a south side giant killing it, crushing it up the coast. Well played. <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> see you, brother. Take care. See you, bro.